Do you have an idea for a business, but you don't know what the next step to take? Or do you already have a business and you're ready to level up? Is it really all about the hustle or can you have some work-life balance? On season two of Business Fluent, we talk with entrepreneurs in all stages of their journey. So you can get tips and strategies to avoid the common mistakes and leverage best practices. So you can not only grow a thriving business, but you can live your best life. As we wind down summer 2022, we are seeing increased costs, rising interest rates, an uncertain economic outlook, and a turbulent political climate as we approach election time. In the midst of all this, we still see businesses impacted by the pandemic. So what did we decide to do? Talk about punch keys. We are joined with Tim and Terry Kodrowski, owner of Kodrowski's Bakery in Amherst, Ohio, a true destination for Northeast Ohio. I'm Lisa Hudson with the Small Business Development Center, and I'm here with my guest host, Tony. You want to introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Tony Gallo. I'm president of the Lorraine County Chamber of Commerce. Uh, I've eaten more than my fair share of snoogles um, from Kidrowski's, and I think anybody and everybody who has uh, heard of Kidrowski's has been in there and uh, enjoyed themselves on some uh, pretty amazing baked goods. So welcome, Terry and Tim. Thank you so much. Thank you. This Happy is to great. be here. Yeah. Yeah. So why don't you guys tell us a little about um, your bakery and how you got started? <laughs> well, this was Tim's dream, so I'm going to let him talk about it. Terry and I dated out of high school, and then she went to nursing school. I worked for PC Campana. Actually, I started working for DeLuca Bakery in Lorraine in 1973 and learned a lot from Grandpa DeLuca there. I was playing in a rock and roll band, and of course, I had a, aspirations of being a really big star, and that really never <laughs> went around. So I got a job at PC Campana out of DeLuca's and um, worked there for a while. And Terry and I got married in 1977. She graduated in 76. And um, I was like a Mr. Mom. Terry worked a lot. And I worked up until 1981. And then there was the big job crash in the 80s. And I watched the kids for a while until 1983. Terry came home from the hospital and said that this lady was telling her that her husband works at this place and in Amherst called Simply Delicious Bakery, and they just opened up. And I said, oh, wow, that sounds like something I could do. So I went and talked to them, and this is December of 83. I worked there starting December 15th of 1983. And um, January 5th of 1984, they told us they were going out of business. So when they told us that, I talked to Terry, I talked to my mom and dad, and I talked to Terry's dad. And we all collaborated and put together this plan to uh, buy this bakery and uh, see what we could do with it. Um, Terry's dad told me I was young, dumb, and stupid, and I could probably do it, which he was right. <laughs> he was really right. Um, when you're that age, you have you know everlasting power. That was 39 years ago, and um, we've made it this far. And uh, yeah, it was a working bakery. They were doing very well, but just like a partnership always goes, um, this person went that way. This person went the other way with the money, and that partnership dissolved. So um, Terry and I took it over, and um, I'm proud to say we made it what it is today. Uh, we've a lot of hard work, a lot of lot of hard work, a lot of good days, a lot of bad days. Uh, it's it's a roller coaster of emotions, even now. Why do I vaguely remember Kidrowski's being in the old English parlor on Oberlin Avenue? Well, we actually moved there as a, a, a substore okay. in 1988 because, remember, at that time, they were talking about the casinos coming in. 
Oh, yeah. And we wanted to be on the ground floor of that. And we were in the old Hearts Jewelry Building right next to the palace. That's Got where it. we were. We tried that for about two years, and it just it just didn't work. There was no foot traffic. There was there. no foot traffic. Mm-hmm. We kind of banked on the people going to the palace, but they wanted to go home and get out of there after the show. So when you started, Terry, were you still working as a nurse when you first opened the bakery? Or at what point did you say, nope, I'm going to go help out at the bakery? Yeah, so I worked for St. Joe's. I worked labor and delivery for 25 years. Wow. And I also worked at the bakery you know, because it's people come and go from here. And then we decided that, you know, if you have to know every, every piece of it, every how to fix this, how, how this works, every part of it, everybody's job. So um, I did work weekends here. I worked full time to carry our insurance and keep us alive until uh, St. Joe's moved their labor and delivery over to community. And then I didn't follow with them. And at that time, our kids were in high school. They were all going to go to college. So, that wasn't a question. Uh, that was, <laughs> we both decided that we would consider ourselves successful if we could get our kids through college. That's awesome. Full-time St. Joe's and full-time. <laughs> I don't know how she did that. She was working more full-time here. Three twelves at, on the weekend at St. Joe's working labor and delivery, coming at the bakery, decorating cakes, waiting on customers and going back to, I, you know. It was crazy. It, it four was, kids. It four was kids, nice. yeah. <laughs> wow. For those people that might not know what a punchki is, you want to talk about, A, what it is and how that kind of became, we'll talk about a snoogle later, but how the punchki kind of became a huge tradition for your bakery. Yeah. Let me preface that a little bit. We, um, of course, we we had no idea about business, being an entrepreneur, nothing. We had no business background. We had, as my dad told Tim, it's, it's a school of hard knocks. We really did not have, didn't even know about a business plan, as you know today. But I think our business plan in our heads was an ethnic bakery. I'm German, but it was going to be a Polish bakery. Um, and that, that's where all the Polish traditions came from, which a lot of them I was not aware of because I didn't grow up in that. And he did with, you know, going to St. Stan's and what his mom would um, mm-hmm. prepare. Yeah, you know, I, I kind of use the analogy of like looking for the light switch in the dark. When we first started, we were looking what we could do to catch on because I just didn't want to be a regular place. I think regular places anywhere, even to today, regular places come and go. The one great story is my father-in-law, Joe, um, came into the bakery and I had just ran out of walnuts and my delivery truck wasn't coming in for like five more days. And he said, I know where I can go. I'll go down to Jamie's flea market and see if anybody's selling walnuts there. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) go to the flea market. And he came back. (laughs) And he said, we have to be there. There's thousands of people there. This is a Saturday. And uh, we kind of laughed about it. But that next Saturday, we were there with card tables. We set up at 5 o'clock in the morning. We had card tables and lids for our product. And we actually started out there for two and a half years outside. Wow. And right when we were going to pull out, it just didn't seem to be that good for us. They offered us a spot inside. So another year went by in the back of the flea market. And... Um, Back there, the people weren't mixing like they would in the front of the flea market. So that when, when actually I went up to front to tell Mr. and Mrs. Mock that we were leaving, they said, we wanted to talk to you because the, the guy up in the very front of the flea market is leaving and we want to put you guys up there. And that was 1987. So we have been there since actually 85. And um, wow. I think that has made a big name for us too because everybody comes from everywhere going to Jamie's. And what the good thing about that is every Wednesday and Saturday – 
we know there are going to be at least 1,000 to 5,000 people going there, and they're going there to eat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so um, eat and walk around and look at junk. So I always call Jamie's <laughs> Flea Market the prehistoric Internet because you could pretty much find anything you wanted at Jamie's if you looked hard enough. So um, we, we kind of made our name there, and um, that was the one spot. And then um, I remember in 1985 or six. We were looking, trying to find that light switch in the dark. And I told Terry, I said, I remember growing up at St. Stan's and my mom and my dad having this big punchki dance. And, you know, I said, why don't we bring punchkis back? And of course, you know, she's like, well, okay, let's try that. Let's see something. So that first year we made like 20 dozen and we had hoped to sell that 20 dozen. And uh, we probably had five dozen left. And we went through some growing pains with that. Well, at that time, we were downtown Amherst. Yeah. And for people who don't know what a punchki is, it's basically a donut-type dough filled with fillings. In, our, in all actuality, let me correct you. Okay. <laughs> uh, the punchki is a Polish pastry wrapped up um, with typically the, the only ones that started was the sugared one, which is a sugared dough ball and or a prune one because they, they had limited fillings in Poland. So they would work with what they had. So then we um, kind of modernized that we had a lady come directly from Poland and she told us that they were using apricot now in the punchkis. So after about, I think it was 88, 89, we started using apricot and then we went to poppy seed because that was one of our favorite flares. Yeah, that's my favorite too. Mm-hmm. And then we introduced rose filling uh, in probably, I think it was 2005 or six. Now we, we went to a bakery convention and we talked to someone. I saw that he had a rose base filling and it, it, it has rose, real rose petals in it. And it's not sweet. It's not bitter. It just has that hue of roses to it. And, um, when you bite a punchki and you take a bite of a rose punchki, it's really peculiar because it's a sweet dough and it's that almost bland flavor, but you feel and taste that rose in your mouth. Wow. Yeah, so that we have that. And then um, three years ago, um, Terry's mom died. Um, and her dad passed a couple of years earlier than that in 2012. And we wanted to install uh, a German tradition to our Polish punchki. So we got a recipe a long time ago from a man in San Antonio. And he was from Germany. His name was Hans Nadler. And he gave me a recipe for uh, Edelweiss filling. And we use our Edelweiss filling. So we have six flavors now. And that's the only flavors we'll make. Everybody else does this and this and this and this and this. And that, you know, we kind of laugh about that because from a business standpoint, now this is what makes sense. From a business standpoint, when I'm making 20,000 dough balls, I don't want to make 100 different fillings to decide what to put in those 20,000 dough balls. So I make six flavors and one of them isn't even a flavor. We just roll it in sugar and that's the punchki. So we've, we've kind of limited ourselves. Plus we curtailed our, our supplies and that gives us a better opportunity to know what direction to go when we're filling those. And for those who have never experienced, so typically punchkis come out on fat Tuesday, right? Yeah. So if you have never experienced fat Tuesday morning, at Kadowski's with the line, with the tent, with the news cameras. I mean, truly, when I say it's a destination, your bakery, it really is. People wait 
for many hours to get them. They really do. And actually, we have a lot of people that come back in line just to just to wait in line and to be there and to be a part of the process. Um, it's a circus. It's a, <laughs> it is a circus. And, you know, and Terry and I came up with the idea that, you know, well, when people standing in line and everybody's we always entertain them. We have the polka player outside and we have, you know, people singing and dancing and we have the local businesses come in and they put their little shops up inside the tent. And then we also will give everybody a raffle ticket that's standing in line from the middle of the window back to the end of the line. So then it, what they're saying, what's this raffle ticket for? Well, we're, we're raffling off the front part of line. So if you win, you get to go to the very head of the line. And they wow. love the hell out of that. They really yeah, do. Yeah. So um, just a little bit something to make it a little bit more interesting. We've had Fox 8 there. We've had them on numerous occasions. Kenny Crumpton comes in. We've had Channel 5, Channel 3, 19 News. Um, it's been great. It's really, really been a good thing for us. The reason they come to us is because, like I said in the beginning, we're different. We're different than everybody else. We make it an event. We just don't have it happen. We make it an event. Well, and you guys have live radio remote usually that day too, don't you? Yeah, we so do. I'm sure people who are driving, you know, to and from work, they're they're listening to their you know favorite radio station and hear you guys talking about it. So you guys are like the Pied Piper. You you kind of entice people to come and uh, you know spend a couple of hours. But what happens to them? They come in. They come into work with a dozen or probably eight, one or two of them in the car on their way there. <laughs> That's very um, true. But you know they've got some extra ones that uh, you know that they're going to bring in and then share with everybody else. So yeah. uh, I think it's amazing. Anthony, I want to tell you that there was some secret to that. I made really good friends with the people at um, WNCX and Star 102 and did okay. a lot of advertising there. And then in order to encompass all Northern Ohio, I went to Mix 1027 in Sandusky. So I have it all the way from Port Clinton all the way to the other side of Menor. And people are yep. hearing about Kudrowski's Bakery and these Punchkis. So we do. We get people from everywhere. Toledo, Mansfield, Finley, um, they come just to see what the Punsky event is all about. And that <laughs> really has been something. And, you know, we, every time I say something to Terry, I'm like, hey, let's do this. And she said, you're crazy. I said, why? <laughs> why? <laughs> but it works. It, you know, it's the different thing that works. When we started the Punsky Ball in 1998, we were laying in bed on Christmas Day morning, completely exhausted. I mean, we couldn't move from the first those couple of days right before Christmas. And, of course, I said, uh, we have to think of something to do to get the people in here during Punsky time. And she's like, well, there's really nothing we can do because, you know, Punsky time is only six weeks away. And so, Anthony, you know, if your wife tells you you can't do this in, in a certain amount of time, you got to do that. <laughs> so six weeks later, we um, we hired um, Eddie Klimczak, the polka guy in this sure. area, and I hired him because we have deep roots. My dad sang in Eddie's dad's band in the 50s and 60s. My dad sang Polish um, polkas. Wow. And uh, so Eddie and I connected together, and he has played at every Punchki ball since. But let me go back to uh, the beginning. We went. We hired uh, Knights of Columbus on Oberlin Avenue, and we had hoped to sell 100 tickets. And we advertised on the radio. At that time, it was WEOL Radio and WOBL. And we had hoped to sell 100 tickets. We had to turn away the 250th person at the door because it was so packed inside the Knights of Columbus. Wow. From that point on, we went to Lorraine Catholic for two years and sold out at 400 people. And then we went to DeLuca's for the next, uh, well, we, we left DeLuca's when they closed. So at least 20 years, yeah. at least yeah. 20 years. And we bottomed out every time at 500 people. And we had people coming from all over Ohio. You're at Germans now? Yeah, we're at Germans now. Yeah. And 
<laughs> Cliff German was trying to court us there way a long time ago, and then finally kind of saw the writing on the wall at DeLuca, so I called Cliff, and it, I mean, he couldn't have hugged and kissed me more when he found out we were coming there, and he gives us such a good show, and I mean, everything is great there. It's great. So you said you didn't have a business background and maybe like, you know, didn't do the traditional business plan, but it sounds like instinctively you had a gut reaction of what you needed to do to impact your business, you know, creating a niche, then creating event marketing around it. You didn't call it that, but that's really kind of what you did from a money bookkeeping, record keeping kind of standpoint? Do you guys do that yourselves or did one of you take that over? She's the brain. Uh, she is definitely the brains. Yeah. We, well, we started with, with a few um, uh, bookkeepers um, that didn't fare too well. So yeah. One embezzled, one embezzled. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So we learned, I uh, had to learn a lot on my own and, and like I I don't have any background in that. And I, I have, I have an accountant. <laughs> I have an accountant that I, I lay heavily on and um, yeah, he keeps us straight and narrow. Well, I think that's important for our audience to know is that sometimes when something isn't your strong suit, it's okay to outsource it. I mean, you have to keep a handle on it so that if someone's embezzling, you know enough to catch it, but that your time is maybe better spent focusing on other things and using your resources to outsource some of the things that aren't your strong suit. And that's okay. I think that's a smart strategy. Mm -hmm. Well, let's amplify that statement. The most important thing you have to watch is your money. That is the most important thing. And that, you know, to have a trustworthy named accountant working with that, that's very important. The one person that embezzled from us, we would have never thought, never, ever, ever thought in our lifetime. I just happened to catch it. And we have no idea from that point on what she took from us at that point and where it went. But, you know, we've we've learned, we've gotten our toes stepped on many times together. And we just kind of like look at each other and say, well, here we go again. Yeah, we've heard that from many mm-hmm. times. I mean, and uh, I, I think Lisa might have been part of a webinar or a seminar that we had put on called a trusted employee. Um, and what happens when that trusted employee leaves, you find out certain things that weren't being, you know, done correctly or, hey, why is this money not like adding up to compared to the way this other person was doing it? So unfortunately, I think small businesses need to be aware of that and have some uh, checks and balances across the board to make sure that they don't fall into that. Or even if they do, they catch it soon enough where it doesn't put them out of business. And luckily, you guys did catch it soon enough. Did you guys both grow up in Lorraine? I did. Anthony, do you remember Falinski's Hardware on Leary Avenue? Oh, oh, yeah, I do. Yeah. Grandma Falinski used to sit by that cash register and no one else would touch her money. Okay? So that's why we laugh about her sitting at the cash register only because that's our money. Yeah. Yeah. You can't let anybody else use your money, just like ingredients or anything. There's one special point that I want to emphasize to anybody that hears this. Don't let anybody else touch your money because that's your lifeline. That's what you're working for. That's very, very important. Well, especially a business like yours that is very cash-based. I mean, you know, it's like we work with a lot of restaurateurs, bar owners, and anytime that you have a business where there's a lot of cash, you're right. There's lots of opportunity for some of that to go missing. Oh, yeah, so. very, very <laughs> much so. People have found a way to, you know, sneak something here and there. But like when we go to the flea market, we know exactly everything that's on that tray. And that's our cost-effective way to say, oh, let me see, we sold this many things, This way, and why are we short $200? Yeah. 
that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, that's great. We've learned. <laughs> so when, when the bakery that you bought became available and you said you talked to your parents, did you finance it internally with friends and family? Did you go to a bank? How did that work for you in that beginning when you first bought the bakery? So I don't know if you know Ron Kopko. He's an, he's a, was an accountant and we had, I don't even know how we hooked up with him. How did we hook um, up with him? The, well, we went through the SBA through Lorraine National Bank at the time. They helped, they helped us out tremendously. Right. That's right. Yeah. We, did, yeah. we took an SBA loan. We took an SBA yeah. loan. Mm-hmm. Okay, go. great. Yeah. And a lot of years we could only pay the interest on it. Yeah. A I lot. would, I, and you know, and the biggest thing in my career and probably, and, and I'm not kidding for the first 10 years of business, we probably bounced a thousand checks. <laughs> And that's the truth. I'm telling you the truth. But the biggest thing is if you bounce a check, you call. If I bounce a check to Anthony Gallo, I call Anthony that day when I find out and say, hey, Anthony, I found out that check didn't go through, man. I'll have the money to you tomorrow or today. I followed through with every one of those things. And I, it, it was very sometimes humiliating, but I, I did it. And that's why I think we have such a great, strong business reputation now. Because Mr. DeLuca told me one time a long time ago, he said, there's a certain time in business when you come to work and you say, hey, I can afford to pay this bill and it doesn't bother you to pay it and you don't have to worry about if it's going to go through or not. And it just happened that way. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the part that people don't understand. Those beginning years can be rough. And sometimes um, I think people don't realize, you know, they see a business years after they've been established and they're doing well and the owners are taking vacations and doing fun things, but they don't see those lean years when checks are bouncing and you're working two jobs. So that's why I think it's important to tell those stories and the truthful things like, yeah, I bounced a check or, you know, and people don't really write checks that much anymore. So now it's probably like, you know, my, I'm over my limit on my credit card balance or whatever, but, um, but that's real. And there's probably not a business owner out there that probably hasn't bounced a check or, you know, um, overextended. And I think those are the stories that sometimes people who want to start a business don't really understand those risks in the beginning, especially the younger generation, they didn't see what you guys went through in the beginning. And I I was going to ask you, did you guys take a paycheck? A lot of small businesses don't take a paycheck for years. When there's no money, you can't take a paycheck. Right. Yeah. (laughs) That's probably 12, 15 years. Seriously. Yeah. That's why she had to work a meager paycheck. She had to work. And, and literally my, my boys, we have four sons. They're all very successful. They grew up in the business. And a lot of times they ate bakery for dinner and breakfast and lunch. Mm-hmm. And, and they worked. They and worked. they worked. The two <laughs> oldest ones are really pissed off because they never got paid. They never had, they, they worked like crazy and never got paid. But the two younger ones, of course, have worked their way up through the business and now we can afford to pay them. They got paid in snoogles, they which did. you know what? I, I would take that as an hourly rate any day. So for the so again, somebody out there might not know what a snoogle is, and I know that's one of the things you're known for. You want to talk about the snoogle and what it is and the story behind it? Well, the, the snoogle. The, it's a uh, uh, the story behind that is Terry and I in the beginning, probably late '84, early '85. We are looking when we went to the flea market to put together something that no one ever had before. And um, she was making cheese Danish, and I was making cream horns, lady locks. And uh, we had some stuff left over, and we kind of put it together. We had a lady working for us that was from Poland, the lady who was talking to us about the fillings. And we put this product, we put this thing together, 
and we baked it and we tasted it and and, and I looked at Tan like, oh damn, this is good. It is good. <laughs> and we gave it to Mary. We gave it to Polish Mary, and she said that it was good in Polish, which I, I if I remember correctly, it's Smarczyk, and that's delicious in Polish. And my boys were all little then. They were all really little, and they were all like giggling and fighting and punching each other. <laughs> and when they heard Smarczyk, they they turned Smarczyk into Snoogle. Somehow. <laughs> Somehow. Don't know how that happened. <laughs> um, but then we decided when we were doing that to make it look different, to be different, we made it long as, as opposed to square and round, the typical handheld. And I wanted it to be something peculiar. So Anthony, when you're walking around the flea market, you got a big white bag and you're pulling something out of there. People are going to say, Hey, what is that? What are you eating? Uh-huh. You know, so that, that arises curiosity right away. But then after that, once they taste it, it's a completely different story. And the big trick with that is we bake snoogles every half hour at the store. We don't bake just once. And Terry gave us that idea because at Midway Mall, when you go to Aunt Annie's pretzels or the pretzel places, when you buy those hot pretzels, that's when they're the best. You take them home, you can only chew on them. And that's yeah. why we bake every half hour. Well, if you are listening and you have never had a snoogle, run, do not walk to <laughs> Kodowski's to get one. <laughs> we trademarked the snoogle. We have, it's one of the only pastries in the United States that's trademarked. We were lucky enough to, um, actually last year we were contacted by the NFL draft and uh, the, the uh-huh. head chef for the NFL draft contacted us. And I, actually I thought it was some of my friends messing with me. And he <laughs> told me that his name was Peter Deshaun from uh, Louisiana. And I wanted to talk to Mr. Tim Kodrowski. And I'm like, what do you guys want? What is this? And he said, well, <laughs> I'm heard, I mean, everybody's telling me about this thing called a snoogle. Can you tell me something about that? And, I, and of course, I said a lot of choice words to this guy. And he kind of <laughs> laughed. And I said, who is this? And he said, Mr. Kudrowski, this is Peter Deshaun. I'm head caterer for the NFL draft. He ended up ordering 350 of them for draft day. Mm-hmm. And we delivered them out. And, I mean, that was a real feather in our cap because when it came to draft day and the menu was there, our name was the only local name on that menu with the NFL draft. That's awesome. That yeah, very cool. Awesome. We can't talk to a business owner today and not talk about the pandemic. I mean, you're not exactly a, a sit-down restaurant. So, I mean, wh- what happened to you guys during the pandemic? I, You know, I would think that I know I ate a lot of junk food to keep me happy during the <laughs> pandemic. So, you know, maybe it was good for you guys. I don't know. So tell us what happened. Everything closed on March 16th. And... In preparation for St. Patrick's Day, we had a whole bunch of stuff made up ahead of time. So, you know, I told her, you know, I'm not going to let this little pandemic thing stop us. We'll just come to work. (laughs) We're a necessity. Right. I mean, you you have to eat. And, you know, bread is the staff of life. So you had to come in and do that. And um, so we actually stayed open. We took every precautionary measure, every sanitizing measure we could. And we stayed open. We limited our hours. Instead of being six to six, we went from six to two. We had to close another day, and then we had to close another day besides that. We lost a lot of staff. Um, yeah, but we lost six, seven staff members. So. Yeah, seven staff wow. members. But we have found a way to, to make it. We, we always have together. It's, it's just, you know, amazing what we have done together as a couple. Tim, what about supply chain? Did you run into issues with sugar, with flour, with it going from... $5 a pound to $10 a pound. Did you see, you know, skyrocketing prices? Anything yes, along the lines of that? Yes, yeah. yes, 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 and yeah. yes. Um, the most important thing is it didn't, Anthony, it didn't start happening till like about last year at this time. Through okay. the pandemic, it wasn't happening. You know, the, the labor situation was difficult, 
But then all of a sudden they started telling me that like donut mix wasn't available. Or now we're going through powdered sugar. We can't get powdered sugar. I, I luckily have seven 50 pound bags of powdered sugar left until it comes in uh, October 4th. Wow. And uh, you just, you just, it's just amazing that, you know, it's, and it's not just the company that we're dealing with now. The one company that I dealt with since the day I opened in 84, Minneapolis Flour. They're one of the biggest supply companies in Cleveland. Uh, they're 103 years old. They had to go out of business because they couldn't get things from the big suppliers like Pillsbury or International Multifoods or J.W. Allen, the big bakery suppliers. Because to them, backflow, they couldn't get it in their shop. And it was just, I mean, it's, we're still, there have been times that I've run over to Sam's Club and bought three big boxes of powdered sugar with the two-pound bags. Yeah, it's, it never ends. With boxes for a while. Yeah. Was, yeah. Boxes we couldn't get. We can't get, bags. it's very difficult to get white paper bags now. You can get brown mm -hmm. ones, but you can't get white ones. Just something about bakery and the brown bags. Yeah. Yeah, right. With price increases, have you had to raise your prices in the bakery? We have. Yeah. It's been, you know, we waited to the very last minute because, you know, I guess I'm so old school. I feel like a lot of our customers are older folks and I didn't want to. Didn't want to jab them if I didn't have to, but I mean, we have to, we have to exist also, and we have to carry right. it on to that point. And uh, we just, we just within the last two, three months raised our prices through the yeah. whole pandemic. So yeah. that, you know, they've raised things three, four times on, on our supplies. Yeah. Anthony, the, the shortening that I use for my frosting, it's called Sweetex. It's the best shortening on the market out there. And it's made uh, by Paratus. And last year, last year at this time, I was paying $82.90 for a 50-pound block. Right now, it's $140 a block. So it's just, you know, they, they got us. I mean, we, you got, if you want it, you got to buy it. Well, you know, and I think customers get it to some extent. Yeah. I mean, because it's not just you. It's everybody. We see everything rising. I mean, so it's it's an interesting um, marketplace. And that's, that comes back to you guys knowing your numbers and understanding cost of goods sold and knowing how to price effectively. And and I think a lot of business owners don't really do that. They don't understand that if a bag of flour goes up $10, what does that do to your actual costs across the board? Right. What we've noticed a lot is a lot of our customers are patient. Right now, our workforce is 79 years old to mm -hmm. 65 years old, okay? And yes. we're 67, and we're working harder now than we did when we first started the bakery. And um, Maybe it's harder for us to work now. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I'm sure it is. I'm dead. That's no kidding. But, um, you know, people say, well, why don't you hire more people? And when they do that, I always go to the cabinet and I give them an application. You set up the perfect question because small businesses like yours, especially a family owned business, um, is there a succession plan? Is there is there, you know, what you guys see yourself doing five years from now, 10 years from now? Because are your kids going to get involved? Do you see yourself, you know, selling to somebody else? Are you working with anybody just out of curiosity? Well, we <laughs> yes, we've had we've been we've been working on this for a couple of years. Um, that's good. That's a really good thing. It takes time, as I understand it. I, our kids take it over. Um, they would be the only ones I would let take it over. Right. They, um, uh, our two older ones have great careers, so they won't. They, they're not interested. Our yeah. the two younger ones, well, Michael is here with us all the time, and he would be our next choice. Um, Timmy, Timmy would also be interested, too, but he right now has a great career. So, 
somebody buy it out there there's a whole and as you well know there's a whole process behind that with you know what you own your assets and your i mean was it really worth it to whatever or do you just split the money and run I don't and know. you know lisa <laughs> i can sell you the bakery tomorrow we could have an even exchange of money you could come in and do exactly the same thing that terry and i are doing and it wouldn't be the same because everybody knows kadrowski's as this you know, right. I still people people come in and talk to me about the Browns games and the Indians yeah. games and polkas on the radio. And my mother did this and your dad did that and all that stuff. That's all a part of the business. You guys should be very proud of the business that you built and the legacy you made in not only Lorraine County, but really Northeast Ohio. And I could talk to you guys. I have a zillion questions for you. But for the essence of time, if you um, were going to talk to someone who was starting a business today, is there one or two pieces of advice that you would say, you got to do this? I would. Yeah, I would tell them that. It is difficult, and you have to. Um, what do you? What do we always say? Uh, failure is not an option. Failure is not an option. We we've lived by that. And I, one of the things I would say, always... bes besides that, mm -hmm. is if you want to make your business very successful, and if you had a job that was paying you forty thousand dollars a year, then put away eighty thousand dollars for the next two years because you're not going to make your paycheck. The percentage of a successful business right now is less than being a successful quarterback in the NFL. Wow. Yeah. They're that bad. And, you know, all these people during the during COVID got all this money and they started businesses. All those businesses are going out of business because there's no extra money now. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, yeah, I guess that would be just hang in there and, you know, have a, always have a plan B. And if you don't have a plan B, make one up. Don't ever let anybody take your money, handle your money, number one. Number two, expect to work harder than you've ever worked before. Because if you want someone else to do the work, you're going to pay it. Then that's money out of your pocket. You know, we've had a lot of people say, why don't you guys just like take a vacation and go, and go out and do things? And they're because we can't. And they say, yeah, if you retire, well. Anthony, when you said when you retire, if I retired from the steel mill or the Ford plant, you know, they shake my hand, give me a gold watch and I walk out. If we retire, we have every vein, nerve and blood vessel in this place. Yeah. All the way down to the last grain of sugar. Yeah, well, I know. It's a little I more know. difficult when you have to retire out of your business. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Well, I'm glad to hear that you're thinking about it because a lot of times people don't. Oh, we talk about it every day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we swear yeah. about it every day. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that's great. And um, like I said, I really appreciate it. And it, it, it is a great place and your products are top notch and oh, thank you. Awesome. So we are glad that you could join us. You guys are one of a handful of, of places that are very unique to Lorain County. I mean, I, I you know, I consider Kedrowski's, uh, Mama Joe's, um, the Smokies that uh, that Fligner's does. Yeah, right. Yeah. Susan L. Chocolates. I Susan mean, all of those L. things yeah. are very, very like specific to Lorain County. And I think people come here specifically or it's always great to you know wind up in Marks or or whatever and see what is for sale that is made in Lorain or Lorain County, Ohio. I mean, we're we're very, very lucky. And I think you guys have worked really hard to put Lorain and Lorain County on the map as a foodie destination. And I think that that just brings people here and people spend money here. And as the Chamber of Commerce, the more we do that, I think it's best for everybody who lives here because you guys are helping to generate some economic development, which is a great, great thing. We would put a boom box out front playing polkas mm -hmm. and we would put it on repeat 
So when anybody ever says, you know, well, tell me how to get there, I always give them a direction. I say, turn right on Cooper Foster and roll your window down, listen for the polka. It'll guide <laughs> you right in. And that's, it's, it's just that little bit of a difference. Um, when you talk about people who own their own businesses, you know, I, I still think about the people like Mama Joe's or Susan L's or Fligner's. I'm like, wow, those people own their own business. I don't even think of us in that capacity. Yeah. You know, I'm really. <laughs> well, you're right up there with them. So. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Awesome. Thanks so much. Oh, my gosh. I hope we had some little bit of insight for you guys. It was great to talk to you guys both. You shed a light. And, you know, I think it's I think it's important. I mean, Lisa and I, I guess we didn't even realize that when we talk to people like you, you know, we're sort of catching a little bit of history, you know, for like the Bob's Donuts that's went out of business. And, you know, my mom had a beauty shop on Fifth Street in downtown Lorraine. And I remember walking over to Lucas Bakery to get something, you know, get a piece of pizza and get something sweet. And, you know, those things don't exist. And having those old memories, you know, I think really um, shines a light on what what this community used to be and what it used to have, but you guys still have um, contributed to a lot of what we still have, which is awesome. So oh, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. So, Tony, what was the name of the of the shop your mom had? My, uh, my mom worked Michelangelo's, 201 Fish Street. Yep. I got my first haircut there. <laughs> oh, did you really? <laughs> 10. I was 10. Yeah. My, I had my hair in braids, and my mom took me there because I was going to Girl Scout camp, and I couldn't do my own hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my you know, mom's sis my mom's sister was Angela, Angela DeLuciano. So there was uh, oh, one at Midway yeah. Mall and uh, yeah. uh, one in North Ridgeville. So there was quite a few of them at one point. Well, you guys, thank you. It was actually an honor for you guys to let yes. us do this. Yeah, yeah. Thank, thank thank you guys. Mad Magazine. Advertising mascots. B-movie posters. And cartoons. Oh yeah, can't forget cartoons. If you get the funky connection that ties these pop culture gems together, you'll dig two designers walk into a bar. See, we're a couple of creatively curious pals living between the bookends of grand museums and dive bars. Hey, you know the place. The sweet spot where highbrow and lowbrow become drinking buddies. So join our barroom chats as we talk influential work and uncover stories of how the familiar became iconic. Think behind the music for the stuff we love. Check out our website at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com. And listen wherever you get your podcasts or visit evergreenpodcasts.com.